Welcome to this edition of the Golf Central Podcast presented by Callaway Golf. I'm Lav, soon to be joined by Rex, who is midway through his European vacation. Uh, in this week's episode, we'll get Rex's impressions of Tiger and Adair Manor, the uh, 2027 Ryder Cup host after a few days at the J.P. McManus Pro-Am. We'll assess the current state of the elite pro level with a few live defectors teeing it up at the Scottish Open. We'll discuss the second live event in Portland. And of course, we'll preview the Genesis Scottish Open, the strongest event in DP World Tour history with 14 of the top 15 players in the world in the field. But first, Five Iron Golf has teamed up with Callaway and the GOAT of women's golf, Annika Sormstam, for a one-night virtual tournament played exclusively at Five Iron Golf locations across the country in eight major cities on Wednesday, July 13th. Hundreds of players will compete in a St. Andrews showdown, an 18-hole scramble for teams of four on the old course, played on TrackMan the night before the pros do so in the 150th Open. Play for prizes and a cause with 100% of all entry fee proceeds benefiting the Annika Foundation, which provides opportunities in women's golf at every level while teaching young people the importance of living a healthy lifestyle. Now, for more information and to register to play, at a five iron golf near you, visit fiveirongolf.com slash Annika. Now, Rex, speaking of playing golf, you are literally across the street from my favorite golf course on the planet, and yet you don't have your clubs. What you do have is your beautiful, your lovely, your funny wife, Dion. She's in the hotel room with you, but you're not playing golf, and that is pretty pathetic. Not in the hotel room. We're actually in a huge house. We're staying with some other folks uh, from the golf channel. And I'm, I'm, I'm a wedge, probably from the seventh green. And then the wall hole is just on the other side of that. It's all the things that we love about North Berwick. It's not my favorite. I would probably put it two if I'm doing my top ten list right now, right What's behind one? World Oh, World Dornick. Dornick. Yeah, yeah, sure. Dornick. But, yeah, Barrick's fun. And, and I'll go out and walk it. But, no, I won't get a chance to play it for a lot of different reasons. One, don't have my clubs because, as you pointed out, I have my lovely and beautiful and talented and very understanding wife with me. And I could not bring my golf clubs because there would not have been space. Is that, is that Dion with the Irish whiskey behind you? It is. <laughs> it is. That's right. We just came from Ireland. Uh, we, I, I will say this, and, and just to preface this, because I know you're going to – to just bury me here in a moment. And, and as I should be buried, I got the timing wrong. I was at dinner. Three and, times. Uh, yes. And, and I got the timing wrong. In my defense, it, I've had a day. It's been a bit of a day. I had to travel. Is this your first the, time overseas? No, it's not. It's, it's probably my 25th time overseas. Um, I'm so do, happy. Do you, know, my do, you, do, you, do you know how this works? You just subtract five. Yes, I, I know the math. And I actually hit my wife, slapped her across the face like a wet fish with that this morning when she said something about what time it was back home. And I said, it's 730. And she was like, oh, how did you know that so quick? And I'm like, it's just math. It's just subtract five. And you guys, then, are, you guys are not living in the future. We're not. This is not, yeah, this is not how not it works. It's, it's time future. zones. Yes, we are not living in the future. Anyway, so we were at dinner. And, and I know everybody is having bad travel days now. I know it is a very, very bad time to be traveling, especially on airplanes anywhere in the world. But I will tell you that Aer Lingus, and I'm going to lean into this Aer Lingus, you were an awful airline because it took me the better part of nine hours to get from Dublin, Ireland, to Edinburgh, Scotland. I could have oh swam. I was going to say, can't you, can't you walk there? I could have. I could have walked and swam in the amount of time it took me 
to get here. It was awful, and I guess I should be happy that I actually have my luggage. So that's the win. But everything about it was an awful experience. And then I had to sprint to the golf course to do a hit for tonight's Golf Central. And it just, it I just, was, I just watched you with Andrew Coulthard. Those, those were very pressing questions. Nailed it. He was, uh, he was so passionate about the last question. I didn't even tell him I was hitting it with him, and he came at me with with some passion. He came at me with some emotion. It was about being a former European Tour player. What does it mean right now to watch what's happening specifically to that tour? Because it seems like things aren't going well there you you have ian poulter in the field this week and <laughs> things, Grace. Things, things are in a dire state for the dp world Tour. things are not going well there and we'll get into this more as we get into the podcast but i did want him to get his thoughts and he had a good take if anyone has any interest uh so air lingus uh, i'm guessing that is not a delta terrible airline awful uh i have a direct flight on friday night uh, flying Virgin Atlantic. We've we've done we've done that flight many a time. Direct flight. There should not be any issues. Should be landing uh, in Edinburgh, Scotland, uh, Saturday morning. I will not, however, be covering the Genesis Scottish Open. We had a little bit of a mix up with the accommodations. Instead, I'll just be getting the house ready, full chock full of your favorite beer uh, for your uh, long-awaited arrival uh, on Sunday night. I'm sure I'll make it out to the old course on Sunday as well, uh, where I'm sure Tiger will be making a preliminary. Spin. You had an opportunity, Rex, to see Tiger up close and personal over the last two days, the J.P. McManus Pro-Am, which basically had the best field in golf. I, I know there's 14 to 15 uh, uh, ranked players in the world teeing it up at the Scottish. I mean, that was a who's who who was taking, checking out Adair Manor over the past two days. First, let's start with Tiger. This was the first time we'd seen him since he withdrew before the final round of the PJ Championship on May 21st. How'd he look? How'd he sound? Uh, he didn't look great. He sounded better. He sounded upbeat. I, I thought some of the things I he asked sounded him, upbeat before Southern Hills and look how that turned out. Well, and, and I think this is the new norm. Is it not? I mean, we've talked endlessly about this. I think he is going to be upbeat because what he does, and you can see this sort of unfolding in real time. What he does is he goes home and they put Humpty Dumpty back together again with duct tape and staple and super glue and chicken wire and anything else they can find to put him back together. And after two or three or four weeks at home going through this process, I'm sure he starts feeling better and he's bouncing around the house and he's smiling at the kids and telling them, you you should wait, watch daddy at the open championship. I am going to crush it. I feel so good. And then when he gets here and and I think we saw that and and I do want to get into a dare manner, but I think we saw that on Monday at a dare manner because what I saw when he teed off, and I, I walked the first couple of holes just because I was, was like, It was like 50 degrees a little bit damp. It was damp. 50 degrees, and the, it was blowing sideways, and it was raining, and it was exactly what you would expect from Ireland this time of year. And he's off an Atlantic flight. He's off a long flight, and he's doing this, and his body just doesn't He arrived work. the day before. We've seen I, – I don't care. Via like helicopter. The, that body just cannot withstand that kind uh, – even before the accident. I, I remember specifically you and I having this conversation about after he won at Eastlake – and then took the long flight to Paris for that year's Ryder Cup. Like when he got off that plane, he looked like a broken man. And the same thing in 2019 when he showed up in Australia for the Ryder, uh, for the President's Cup, he looked like a broken man. He doesn't travel well now. And I know he was the I, best player on that American team at Royal Melbourne, despite despite he, he, those travel issues. I mean, he, he was awful, and and that's what we saw. I mean, we saw a guy with a lot of rust. He's going to stay over here, which I think is telling. He's going to play some link go- links golf, which I think is telling. So. He clearly has the idea that he's going to play his way into game shape and try to be something close to competitive when he gets to St. Andrews. But the part that I found fascinating was, and it was, it was kind of twofold. One, 
I asked him point blank, like, how has the body progressed, both physically and mentally, since you left the PGA? And he, there was some upbeat stuff. He felt like he's making some progress. He feels like he's in the gym. He said I, that I, last time. I know. You, just the look, the disgust. Look at the look on your face. You're just not buying it. Uh, the other part that I, I found fascinating was he owns his shortcomings now, more so than he's ever done before, where I think he realizes the road in front of him is much, much shorter than everything that's behind him. And he knows that that the end is near and he wants to make the most of it because he was asked specifically if this is the schedule going forward. And obviously the plan all along was I have to be ready for St. Andrews. I have to be ready for that 150th open because that's where I can compete going forward. I don't know how he ticks those boxes. I, I, I just don't know what motivates him to say after this week, we probably won't see him again to the Bahamas or the PNC when he'll play with Charlie in December in Orlando or whatever the case may be. But how does he start gearing back up? Because does the attention immediately turn to the masters and all the pain? It certainly could. And, and look, I think you have to take this all with a little bit of a grain of salt, as, as we've mentioned a couple of times here, an early week, at Southern Hills. Hello, Dion, as she <laughs> pours another glass of Irish. How many, how many is that today? Is that, I, I mean, I you, don't, you, don't have, you don't have to work today. I only had Scotch whiskey today. This is my first Irish one. <laughs> God, you're the, you're the absolute best. I can't, I, can't, I can't wait to see you in a couple of days. But as, as we've mentioned, Rex, look, early week at the PGA Championship, I believe it was on Tuesday when he had his press conference, he talked about how he has greater strength, he had greater flexibility, greater mobility. And look, he was never going to be 100% healthy ever again, but he felt like he'd made some significant strides. And I think it was a surprise to both of us that he was even competing at the PJ championship. Now he says that he had some setbacks uh, at Southern Hills. And I think that was apparent with the way that he was moving with the lower right leg in particular, his right foot. Did he have, you know, the, the, the requisite treatment and rehab over the past two months to get him in game shape here? Uh, I think that, remains to be seen i think it was telling that he said he was not physically able to play in the u.s open right so the u.s open that's not his best that's not that's i'm not my best i shouldn't be out there it's, physically, I'm not physically able, to able. Do it. that was literally two and a half weeks ago was when the u.s open was contested if anyone watched the jp mcmanus pro-am coverage uh on peacock over the past couple of days, look, he, he did not look great. I think he shot, what, 77 in the opening round, basically shot around even par uh, on day two. As I, I thought he actually drove the ball reasonably well, but his iron play uh, was nowhere near as sharp as it needed to be. His play on and around the greens uh, showed a lot of rust as well. And I think when everyone, including Tiger, turned his attention to oh, you know, let's see him at St. Andrews. Let's see him on a flat golf course. Let's see him where he is playing links golf and he can, you know, rely on some of his uh, golf IQ and his instincts uh, and sort of his shot shaping ability. You can have a great plan. He can have the most links golf knowledge of anyone in the field and he probably will. However, if you can't execute the shots, uh, that doesn't matter. I do not have high expectations for Tiger. And I think once again, as he has shown, we must point out, as he has shown in the year's first two majors where he made the cut, I think making the cut again, Rex, uh, at St. Andrews would, would be a small victory. I, 
I would agree with that simply because I'll take your metaphor one step further. Everyone has a plan to get punched in the face, right? Mike Tyson. I mean, that that's the line right there. And what's going to happen at St. Andrews is he's going to end up on the wrong side of the draw, which by the way, the weather forecast for two Well, it looks says, beautiful. I'm not sure there is going to be a beautiful. Bad I know it's amazing. I don't believe Upper it. Like, 60s, light winds. The guys are going to sh- shoot in the 50s. There's no way that plays out. Like my wife was looking at the weather report and today is nasty and terrible and just howling sideways. Beautiful. And she goes, well, that's it. There's no more rain. That that for the next two weeks, and I said, that doesn't happen. There's no way we make it through two weeks in Scotland, through the Scottish Open and then the Open Championship, and there's no rain, there's no howling wind, there's no something to, to mix this up. Because if not, someone's shooting 59 at the old course, and, and I don't want to write that story. I, I was going to say, like, Mer- Big, Big Merce, he texted uh, me a couple of days ago. He said, oh, the weather uh, looks pretty good uh, for the Open next week. I said, oh, that sucks. Like, that was my first instinct. Oh, that sucks. Uh, well, I'm, you're an I'm agent an, of, I'm chaos, an agent of chaos anyway. Yes, this I, is I love I love absolute badness. However, I don't want to see 67 sunny light winds. Like that's the one time of year where you actually like gird yourself for the battle. I, I want to see 50s. I want to see sideways rain. I want to see flag sticks nearly getting ripped out of the holes. Like just give me absolute hell. Uh, that's that's what I want to see. At my open championship, I want to hear the players complain about like being on the bad side of the draw. J- JT was in the uh, press room today at the Scottish Open talking about you know not to not to not to sound like a complainer, but you know I haven't been on the good side of a draw yet at the Open Championship, but that's probably to explain uh, what is a, really a pedestrian open record for a player of his immense skill. Uh, there it is, the grief eater. All you want to see, yeah, yeah, of course. The one time a year, you can put on your wellies, you can put on the Gore-Tex, and you just go out and like enjoy the elements. That's not true. One time a year, you loved it at the PGA Championship. You loved it at the at the Masters. Like you, you, you just love it when things deteriorate to the point that you have varying shades of awful coming in from every angle of the globe and these players are just fighting for their lives and trying to scratch out some sort of living and that's when you're at your absolute well well well, besides the fear that i was going to get pneumonia at southern hills where we're in from like 95 uh hot and steamy on friday to basically 50 with in in wind whip conditions on saturday that was my only fear was getting uh pneumonia but yes that saturday at the pga was wonderful even if the scores didn't necessarily uh bear out the the absolute uh, destruction i was hoping for and I don't want to hijack this, but I want to go back to – so the J.P. McManus program, it's the first time I had been there, and I, I didn't know much about it. I don't know how much you know about it, but Adair Manor, I'd heard so many good things about it. It's supposed to be Ireland's it Augusta God, it looks National. fantastic. I, I was blown away by a couple of different things. One, the golf course is, by every measure, their version of Augusta National. It is as close as I've seen any golf course in the world to being Augusta National-esque. And when I say that, I don't mean the topography. I just mean the condition of the golf course, where there is not a blade of grass out of position. And you do have some of the swales and some of the movements and the greens are elevated. And it, it will be an interesting test. But the, the bigger two takeaways that I had is, one, the Ryder Cup in five years is going to be phenomenal at that place. Like, it is going to be unbelievable. You and I aren't going to like staying in Limerick because I think my wife put it on Facebook. She said that every country needs a Detroit. <laughs> And this is their, and this is their Detroit. <laughs> and at this point, this is the part where I will distance myself from John. I take back everything that I said about her. I've actually never met her before, and I want nothing to do with her. I don't want to. That's a yeah. So she completely alienated the entire section of the country with one favorite quick post on Facebook. Uh, but the other thing that that I, I was completely blown away by, I have never been in an event where the the pros, the professionals, these world-class players, and you pointed out how good the field was, 
walk around with a perpetual smile on their face. And it just wasn't the Irishman. Like, yes, Potter and Shane and Rory, there, there is an immense amount of pride. Like, this is this is their country. This is what they've created. And they know what J.P. McManus brings to the table. I and mean, I think last time they said they held it, which was 10 years ago, he raised $38 million. And it, with one two-day event, like it's an amazing accomplishment. And he does it like earnestly. There's nothing ostentatious about him at whatsoever. All. At all. And I, I just think, but it was every other player in the field where, you know, Rory kind of stopped me as he teed off on 10 on Monday. And then he goes, just your normal pro-am, right? And I, I, the only comeback I had was, yes, but it only has 40,000 people here. And that was it. There was 40,000 people on property to watch this little pro-am. That, that there was no prize fund. There was nothing given out. I think Xander was given some sort of funny trophy just as like a joke. It was like a severed arm trophy. It was a little weird. A little it, yeah, it looked a little alarming. They should, should yeah. work on that. But everything else about it was just amazing. And, and suddenly it, it all made sense. Because I remember asking Ricky Fowler this at the U.S. Open when he told me he was playing there. I'm like, why? I'm like, well, what's, the, what's the reason? He goes, have you ever met JP? And no, I haven't. And he goes, well, if you ever met JP, you would. Now, I say all this not, not to – you know, grandize th- this event, which is, you know, kind of the, the cream of the professional crop. But when it comes to pro-ams, I say all this because it was amazing when I left there Tuesday night and it was gloomy because of what's going on in the world of golf, because of what's happening with live golf, because of what's happening, the way the PGA tour is fighting back because of the way the DP world tour is becoming more and more marginalized by the day, by just things out of their control. And it, I don't know how many people stopped me on my way out, players and caddies and agents, and said, the one person that could fix this is JP, where JP could make all the parties sit down and just say, Let, let's just sit down and figure this out. Because I walked away from the last week and a half completely just convinced that, that and I hadn't had this thought before, that we're going to have to find a way to coexist. Rory basically said that in an interview with the BBC yeah. that, that I wanted to touch on. I think he said it on Tuesday uh, before he departed. He's actually the one uh, top 15 player in the world who was not teeing it up this week at the Scottish Open. But he said at some point, these these parties just need to sit down and hash this out. The the fracturing at the top level benefits no one. It benef- doesn't benefit the PGA Tour, which is losing some of its top talent and biggest draws. It doesn't benefit Liv because they're never going to be able to um, – really ascend to the heights that they aspire to because they can't get the Rory's, the JT's, the Spies, the Roms, uh, that caliber of player. At some point they need to coexist. I don't know what that looks like because it's, it, you know, Monaghan, Jay Monaghan, the PGA tour commissioner has drawn such a, a stark line in the sand. I think we mentioned on last week's podcast that the Keith Pelly seems to be, you know, kind of dotted and written in pencil while Monahan's is is a sharpie, he won't even take a phone call from any of the live officials. While uh, Keith Pelly, although uh, he has not talked to Saudi officials since July 2021, he said that he would at least be open to having a conversation with them if they agree to kind of work in this current ecosystem and not necessarily launch a rival tour. Greg Norman seems to have grand ambitions, Rex, of of having something that rivals the PGA tour. He seems hell bent on revenge over the past uh, 25 years. I don't know where this thing is headed, but I agree at some point, Jay Monahan's going to have to sit down and try to hash something out because the fracturing, the splintering uh, is, is benefiting no one. And I think I probably said it on last week's podcast.
I truly believed that, that Keith was going, if anybody was going to be the guy, and, and I don't know that we're anywhere close to reconciliation at this point for all the reasons you pointed out. One, the, Jay and the PGA Tour is entrenched. Two, Greg Norman's not making it easy for anyone. I think I wrote last week that he, he's, he's behaving more like a Twitter troll than he is a CEO. CEO. Like there's just things that are in his control that he chooses to take. He's to got a whole army of, of Twitter bots uh, presumably launched true? from Saudi Arabia that, is that, true? That, are, that are doing the dirty work for him. I'm not sure why he needs to do it himself. I feel like every one of those bots are coming after me on Twitter every single day. Oh yeah. It's nasty. It's nasty in the Twitter streets. It's, it's not a pretty place. Um, but I felt like Keith might've been the guy, but now as I walk away, I don't, I don't know if that's the case. I, I feel like there's going to have to be someone else who steps in. I feel like there's going to have to be someone else who is the voice of reason in this room where, and I'm not even, complaining about the way Jay Monahan is handling this. I'm not even really complaining uh, about the way Greg Norman is handling this other than stay off Twitter, man. Like, just don't, just don't make it personal. Like we can make this professional. Everyone is happy. I will tell you this, that, and, and I was in on this scrum and Graham McDowell was sort of asked about his plight at the moment by a bunch of reporters on Monday. And the actual transcript came out to be a little over 4,000 words. And you want to talk about cutting as a vein. It, as, it, as it typically does with Greg McDowell. But no, this was, this was cutting a vein where I was amazed at how deep he was willing to take it. That he clearly realizes that, yes, my legacy, whatever it was, is tainted now. And, and he kind of was holding out hope that maybe that will change. I, I have no idea how that's even possible. But we're getting to the territory where all of these players are going to fall in the same situation. And Graham was also honest and said... I'm not going to sit here and defend something that there is no defense for. I can't defend the Saudi government and the things that they do because there is no defense for that. So as a professional athlete, I can't be expected to come up with an excuse. I'm just amazed that we found ourselves in a position where it's so contentious that I talked to one live player on Monday morning at Adair Manor. And he kind of jokingly said he walked by Keith Pelly and they've been friends for years and Keith didn't even acknowledge his existence. And I, I walked away from that conversation thinking nothing gets fixed if that's the way this is going to be. Like if we make it personal and if we forget that, oh, we need to have some sort of conversations, then we're just going to continue to fall further and further down this hole. I think it's only personal on the established tour side. I don't think it's actually personal for the live defectors. They've, to use Billy Horschel's phrase, they've they've made their bed, they've made their decision, they've They've understood that they're probably selling out and kind of uh, surrendering their um, competitiveness to play on this exhibition circuit. But on the established tour side, the PJ Tour side, the DP World Tour side, like these players have dreamed of being PJ Tour members. They've dreamed of hoisting PJ Tour trophies. And to have this outside threat potentially undermine that or jeopardize what is their future on that circuit, I think it is personal and especially once the lawsuits begin we, we already have one uh with four live players uh winning a stay in order to play this week's genesis scottish open it seems like only a matter of time before you're going to be uh, uh fumbling your way through uh some lawsuit uh proceedings on the pga tour then it becomes personal as jt said because you're you're attacking pga tour players not just the brand not just jay monahan not just pga tour brass at potavidra headquarters like pga tour players are the pga tour it's a member organization and for these players to basically you know have their cake and want to eat it too it's not sitting well with players who are firmly entrenched on one side 
No, and I think Billy did a good job of voicing that side of the argument because it is personal. We heard this from JT just a few weeks ago where he sort of explained that this this isn't personal against a particular player. Where this becomes personal is this is something I've dreamt my whole life that I want to do. I want to win on the PGA Tour. I want to win major championships. I want to play on a Ryder Cup team. And suddenly things outside of my control have put all of that in jeopardy. And I think now it's starting to hit home for everyone involved, probably on both sides. Like I said, I think Graham McDowell, kind of had his own reckoning over the last few weeks that I don't okay. think he has buyer. I don't think he has buyer's remorse. I think he just understood oh, that. I, I wouldn't agree with that. I wouldn't agree with that. And look, it's, it's easy not to have buyer's remorse when you've got that big of a bank account sitting at home and, and I'm happy. I, I'm fine. Like the bank account is flush and I can take care of my family forever. So that, that makes it very, very easy, but that doesn't change the fact that this is a very, very thoughtful man who has always tried to be as honest as he possibly could. And has now been pushed in a corner where honesty is only going to be bad for him, for his previous employer and his current employer. And so, yes, I think there, if there's none now, there will be buyer's remorse. I, I also think, Rex, that a lot of these players, particularly on the DP World Tour side, they did the calculus. They understood the risk. They probably looked at their lot in life and, and where they are in their competitive uh, and how much uh, competitive runway they have left. And did the calculus and said, you know what, if I have only a couple years left, Let's go do this. And also, I think that they thought that they could twist the arms of the DP World Tour brass. There's a report circulating that Henrik Stenson is going to be on that next wave of live defectors, which, of course, would jeopardize uh, his captaincy on the European Ryder Cup team. That seems like a power play in order to get Keith Pelly and live officials in the same room to hash something out, that there can't be this acrimonious split between the defectors and who just so happened to be a longtime European tour stalwarts and where this future European Ryder cup is going. I'm not saying there's buyer's remorse, but I also think that there was an understanding that they're going to, that this is going to put the European tour in a box and force them to make some sort of deal. I think that's a big part of the, the Lee West with the Ian Poles or the Graham McDowell and, you know, potentially now the Henrik Stenson sort of thinking. I see where you're going with this and you're sort of looking at the writing on the wall, but I, I would caution you against making this leap simply because just a week ago that the PGA tour and the DP world tour announced an enhanced Alliance, whatever that means. And there was an ownership stake that went from 15% to 40% of European tour production. So there is money involved here. There was some sort of investment, whatever that is. We don't know the specifics. Of and you it. know who can make a hundred percent investment. Yes. But at this point, I mean, I don't know. It seems to me Keith has chosen his side. My guess is it wasn't an easy decision. I mean, based on the players that I talked to that were at the player meeting last week that Keith spoke at, the entire conversation was that why didn't you talk to live when you had the opportunity? And that's why this whole meeting in Malta last July, I believe it was, came up and why he felt like he needed to do some spin control and get out in front of this because the membership does want to know, did we have the opportunity to essentially become Liv Goff? Could our tour have gone down this road and suddenly now you have two big tours and you have two rival tours in the European tour and the PGA tour, and we have deep pockets and we were probably going to win that fight. So I think there is a curiosity on this side of the pond, at least of why he did this. And it's probably why, again, why he turned to a deeper alliance with the PGA tour. I'm not saying he can't break that alliance, but we're a week into it. I, I don't imagine we ever end up anywhere in the near future where that scenario that you envision plays out. 
as GolfChannel.com's legal expert, uh, do you believe that the stay that was won by the four live experts, uh, it, it, excuse me, defectors, uh, including Ian Poulter, do you think that portends a rocky road for these established tours uh, in having a difficult time keeping these guys out of their tournaments? Uh, no, I, I think that's a one-off. It, it was a good victory. And in, in look, I talked to Ian yesterday, as you pointed out in the photo that you sent me. I look so angry. Like, and I don't understand why in that photo. You have another best interactions. Either have I uh, over the course of our careers with Ian Poulter. He tends to be a little bit prickly, as you can imagine. Yes. No, no. And it was, it was a very uncomfortable interview, but I, I was enjoying it, if I'm being completely honest, because I felt like, oh, we got him. Like I, I kind of had a mandate from our bosses back in Connecticut that we really need to get Ian. And, and he was very reluctant to do it. And then when we stuck the camera in his face, he was even less reluctant to do it. So I, I should have been kind of elated. I should have been like, oh, I win. Like, look at me. I'm doing a good job. And I look so angry in, uh, in that photo. Um, no, I, I think it's a, it's, it's what, it, no, to borrow the phrase, it's a temporary stay. And that's all it is. And I think from the court's perspective, and I'm not going to try to play a legal expert even on the podcast, but from the court's perspective, you can never give them back this opportunity. You can always take away the points and the money and whatever the, the, the result would possibly be. Let's say Ian Poulter wins this week. And then six months from now, nope, not going to happen. He's not going to make the cut. But let's say he wins this week. Six months from now, the court rules that, okay, the DP World Tour was right. They were well within their regulations to suspend these guys from this particular tournament. You can always take that title from them. You can take the money. You can take the points. You can never give it back after the fact. So the courts are always going to look at this from a very, very realistic point of view. And in this case, it was let them play. And then six months from now, or whenever we end up getting this in court, we'll decide. Six months, six months seems ambitious. This could be, this could be years before they hash this out. I mean, this even, one is even even like these very specific sanctions of not being able to play uh, this. And this one is such small potatoes, too. And I'll just say that like th this actual case deals with one specific event like this is not. Uh, and I'm sure I mean, I, I've heard countless rumors that there's already been a lawsuit filed against the PGA Tour for the sanctions that Jay Monahan has imposed. And we fully expected that to happen. That's going to be the bigger lawsuit. But when you look at and you mentioned it. I mean, Keith Pelley is riding in pencil with a very, very big eraser on the other end. He, he kept his, 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 his punishments to a bare minimum. It's you cannot play this one. Well, he has to. He has to he has for to. European tour regulations. Yes, they he don't have, have the, He doesn't have the authority that Jay Monahan does. He doesn't does. have the mechanism that, that Jay does. But it was going to be this, this event, and it was a substantial fine. It was 100,000 pounds. But Liv's, but Liv's paying it. No one paid it. Ian, I asked Ian Poulter point blank. He has not paid his fine. I don't know why I wanted to ask that, but I, I found it fascinating that you, you, you haven't even paid the fine, and nope, haven't even paid the fine. Um, but no, I, I think this is this is that is like going to put a lien on his house, like if he doesn't pay the yes. HOA the yeah. HOA fines in time? And like Nona, you think yeah. he gets in trouble for having uh, Zoysia grass in his front yard? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, you have been gone for four of the past five weeks, including uh, Portland Scott. Would you please upkeep your yard? <laughs> uh, but no, this was just a stay. I, I think the the bigger battle let's call it is much much further down the road now this is not this doesn't look good for the dp world tour and keith pelly but i think what does it matter if they play this week or not it doesn't it's not going to impact anything did you have uh, any thoughts on the second live event in portland as usual uh the most noise was made not with golf clubs 
but with microphones in particular in the players in the pre-tournament news conferences where Brooks Kepka says things like he wants to play uh, less golf, although, of course, uh, he'd be playing 18 events uh, as early as 2023. We had Taylor Gooch's hilarious, unintentionally hilarious uh, post-round comment where he said where he said that the atmosphere at the live Portland event, it has to be similar to a Ryder cup and a president cup of which Taylor Gooch has never and will never be a part of what were your thoughts on uh, the second act of the live era? Uh, Well, Taylor Gooch just needs to say less. I mean, just, just say less. He literally said that he wasn't smart enough to figure out that they were participating in sports washing. That should have been our cue to not listen to Taylor Gooch ever again. Yeah, like just just say less in that particular situation. I, I think when it comes to Brooks and the other players, I think Patrick Reed leaned into this as well. The idea that I'm doing this to play less. Well, it's it's particularly grading when it comes from Patrick Reed, simply because this is a guy that played 30 events a year on the PGA Tour anyway. And no you and I to. both you and I both have asked him this, I'm sure, on numerous occasions. Well, why are you playing this week? And he'd be at a random Bermuda Championship event, and his comment to me was, "Wow, knocking, knocking your Bermuda Championship! You covered uh, that last year. I did cover it, uh, and and I enjoyed. And now uh, it's going to be a standalone event once again with elevated right, purse, points. Thanks to HSB, lot of the uh, points going away. But his comment to me was always the same thing. If I was at home, I'd just be playing golf. So I might as well be out here. So I, I'm not knocking him as a family man. I'm not even second guessing if he's being genuine." in this he's clearly just not, they're not thinking they're not they're not being genuine he's clearly not thinking it through and and look if, if that's really what you want and i have spoken with numerous players off the record who say that yes the idea of a 14 event schedule and having the opportunity to spend more time at home that's definitely something that would motivate me as well as the millions of dollars that come along with this but let's just say that we go back to our earlier conversation and somehow golf finds a way to coexist and somehow these players are allowed to play their 14 and to play the four majors. And then you would add the Ryder Cup or the President's Cup or whatever else it may be. And now we're all the way up to 18 events. You're not playing less. Brooks Kepka is not playing less. If anything, he's playing more in that scenario. So I don't understand where this is coming from. We're starting to learn that these guys are paid actors. There was a, a screenshot uh, that circulated ahead of the London event with uh, clear talking points from Liv that was distributed to all the players and their management teams on the sort of thing that they should follow. And so we, we've seen that. We've seen we want to play less edict. We said we're, this was a financial decision, personal decision for my family. We've seen the comments like this is the greatest thing I've ever been a part of. They're all propagandizing, Rex. It's just kind of in their own ways and with some talking points from Liv. I, I will say in seeing a little bit of the coverage last week and thinking about it more, I, I think we're also learning, Rex, that this thing is – it's ever evolving. And I thought it was noteworthy that officials were so encouraged by the progress that the startup league has made that they've expedited the timeline for this league format from what was supposed to be the start of 2024 to now the 14 event schedule uh, with set teams, captains and the like will now begin in March, 2023. The thinking being that those 14 events will go up against uh, some of the weaker tournaments on the PGA tour schedule. I actually think that's a smart move. One, I think because it's going to eliminate some of the confusion surrounding the team concept. Like in London, there was a whole draft party this time. There were set teams It all is kind of confusing and seems a little bit unfair when you've got $5 million 
online. But secondly, and I think most importantly, having that timeline sped up is going to create a feeding frenzy both after the Open Championship and later this fall. If there are only 48 spots available, many of which have already been accounted for by the players who have signed their contracts, there's going to be a little bit of panic buying by some of the top players in the world, maybe not in the top 10, but kind of in that 11 to 25 to 50 range, guys who want to make sure that they lock themselves into this live structure, into what might or might not be the next big thing. And so I think expediting that timeline was actually a smart move uh, on the side of live. Oh, there's no doubt. They're starting to eat themselves. And I think this was almost inevitable where you ended up in a situation where now suddenly Taylor Gooch is having to look over his shoulder. And I don't know how these contracts are written, so I don't want to read too much into this. My guess is Taylor Gooch has a two or three or four year contract. Taylor Gooch said he wasn't even, this was supposed to be a one-off. He was just supposed uh, to play the, well, no, the I don't, event I, as a one-off. And I don't believe that. I mean, I, I truly believe that that let's let's say he, he has said he's team. not very smart. Are we are we mm. really gonna discount the fact that he may have done this? Let, let let's do let's say he has a three-year contract and a bigger, better name comes available. I mean, this is standing at the bar and a pretty girl girl walks in as you're talking to another girl. And of course, you're going to gravitate in that situation. As I tell this story with my wife over my shoulder, it can't get more uncomfortable. Going back to the whiskey. <laughs> I would just say that he's going to get paid. That's, that's the beauty of a contract. But yes, there is something to be said here. It's clear that the league, league is going to start picking and choosing and that there's going to be players on the outside. Pat Perez, Taylor Gooch, Hudson Swafford, whoever it is, is going to get elbowed out by a bigger name, by someone they perceive to be better for their tour. And here's your money, and we appreciate everything you did for us, but we no longer need your services. And, and, now, and, now, and now they're going to have nowhere to play. They get kicked out of live, and they'd be indefinitely suspended by the PGA Tour. Then you're really screwed. And, and that, Yeah, exactly. And I think that's where the DP World Tour comes back into play. Because as of right now, they've only suspended players from this event and the two other co-sanctioned events. As it stands now... The rest of the membership can go play whatever the event is in three weeks from now. It's going to be in Italy or Sweden or whatever the case may be. So I think what you're going to end up with is some of those players dropping off and gravitating back towards some other form of, I don't know, let's call it the recognized tours around the tour. They can go play the Asian tour. They can go play the Asian tour, but then world ranking points becomes an issue. Like you don't make up much ground winning two or three times on the Asian tour, whereas you would probably do a little bit better for yourself on the European tour. I said it kind of tongue in cheek in this week's Monday scramble, but I don't think we're that far away. Like it could be a literally a matter of months until Phil, Phil Mickelson is the worst player in the live league. Like he lost the first event by 17 shots. He lost the Portland event by 23. Who's shots. worse than him right now. I mean, I haven't looked at the uh, leaderboard, but who's worse James, than him? James Pyatt uh, certainly comes to mind. Turk Pettit uh, certainly comes to mind. There's some players, I believe from Thailand uh, who had, who had a rough go at pumpkin Ridge, but look like you start adding more top 50 players in the world. And all of a sudden Phil, who is the supposed supposedly the mastermind and the big disruptor, uh, he's going to be the guy who like, no one wants to be on his team because you're basically going to be playing a three ball. Like that's now, the situation we're gradually veering, veering towards. And, and look, I have been very, very clear about, I, I don't believe any of the rumors I hear. You constantly hear rumors over the last week and a half being on this side. Cause it's all anyone wants to talk about. However, I have heard of at least three pretty significant players that pl- plan to announce after the Open Championship. 
again, I, I don't feel comfortable throwing them out there because I just don't feel comfortable with any of this. Spec I don't know you any- late. Speculate. I will not. That's reckless, and, and that's not journalistically page sound. Seven, page 17 of the manual. Uh, but I will say that it seems to me that they're just going to continue to follow the guide, which is we're going to bleed you one player at a time. And they're fine with that until they get to 48. And then I, I was amazed last week that they had alternates in place. And I think we're going to get to a situation where each, each of the teams that you referenced will have to have a player on the sideline waiting, getting paid, but waiting. And so how do you recruit that player? What's the motivation for that player beyond money? Like, we're just going to pay you. You're not even going to play, probably, but we're just going to pay you. It's an amazing scenario we find ourselves. Placeholder. A pl- you're basically uh, a placeholder. I was, I was actually talking about this with my father-in-law, who was not a, a member of the golf industry, uh, but it, it was an interesting point. He's like, what happens when these guys get injured? Like, I think, I, mean, I thought, uh, in particular, Brooks Kepka, who's battled basically every uh, injury imaginable over the past couple of years, what happens if he has to pull out from the third event because of injury? Does do like live officials have to do their own uh, sort of uh, MRI imaging to make sure that he's actually hurt? Like what if he's not feeling his best? And so I, I kind of chuckled thinking that he wants to, to play less because now he is an employee of this organization. He has to play 14 times. It doesn't matter if he has some sort of conflict, if it's Jenna's birthday and she doesn't want him to go, well, he has to go anyway. If his body's not feeling great, he still has to show up. So that's like one sort of interesting element of this. These guys think they're independent contractors when really now uh, they're employees of some of the uh, scariest MFers, uh, to use Phil Mickelson's word, uh, that you could possibly imagine. I will say, Rex, I had, I had very long uh, car rides, about five hours with my two kids uh, who are both under the age of four. Uh, was driving that? up to Reynolds like at Kona for July 4th. It was a disaster. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, but when I was not listening to them uh, scream and carry on, uh, I was thinking about what I liked and didn't like about live. And there's many things that I don't like, but one thing that I do like that I think is really intriguing. And I clearly think that live has something going in their direction is this team component. Right now, it's kind of confusing because the draft parties and whatever team set, the, 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 those, those things are set ahead of time. But when you have captains, when you have predetermined teams at the beginning of the year, and that continues throughout the course of this 14-event schedule, it's simple for fans to follow. It makes for really easy, intriguing weekly storylines. There could be a lot of off-season drama with trades and the threat of relegation for the players who are not performing, like there could be some sort of hot stove type thing. I don't know. I think it's kind of an interesting way to inject some uh, intrigue in what is kind of an otherwise uh, mundane, meaningless regular season tournament. I'd love to see the tour borrow, steal. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to, I don't know what you want to do, but incorporate some of those elements uh, because I think that's a that's a super easy way to kind of juice up what could be uh, some of these lifeless regular season tournaments. How do you feel about the financing? You go with the financing for Livgo? Rory seems to be turning the page on that, and I think uh, I think it's only a matter of time before that becomes more acceptable. Which, of course, is the entire point of sports washing. 
Uh, it is, and, and I don't know it's how to, it's, it is. It is to normalize them. They've, they're in Formula One. They're in soccer. They're in boxing. They're in they're in everything, yeah. and all of a sudden, it just becomes all right. Just just make your way into just golf. Be done with it. There's nothing we can do about it. Uh, I, I find it interesting that I've been over here for a week and a half, so I'm going to go ahead and play expert when it comes to UK opinions on this. But there is a difference. Like for you and I and, and most Americans, this is sort of a moral dilemma that we have to wrestle with internally, right? Because 9-11 immediately comes comes crashing into the conversation. And there, there's no winning that conversation because however you try to box it, even if you're Graham McDowell and you're just straight up honest and say there's there's no way to explain that or rationalize what they've done, we're still going to demand our pound of flesh and say you must rationalize this. You must tell us exactly why. You're doing this for, for this dirty money. So uh, it, they don't have those same s- sensitivities here in the United Kingdom. They didn't have them in Ireland. They certainly don't have them in Scotland because they didn't endure 9-11. Like I, I can speak firsthand to that. You can speak firsthand to that. But you're right. I, I guess the danger here is that the more and more we get down this rabbit hole, at what point does all of that screaming on social media about this just become background noise and we just move forward? Like the first wave of players who bolted for live, they endured much of the blowback. And then you saw the second wave. Like I didn't see uh, much, if any, ridicule for the Matthew Wolves and the Abe answers of the world. When this third wave comes, whether it's Tommy Fleetwood and, and, and players of that ilk, like I don't think there's going to be uh, much vitriol directed toward them at all. Like that's how it works. That's how the whole process works of – of these players going and it's, it's more difficult for the first, but they kind of pave the way. What is she saying? No one cares. She's saying no one cares. Was she listening to her own podcast? Uh, I think she's what is she watching a TV, TV show. She's, she's, she's watching a TV show of some sort. Yeah. She, 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 probably, she, probably, she probably wants to get us to talk about the Scottish open. That's where her, that's why she's that's, here. Isn't, isn't, it, is it here. not, isn't that, isn't that why she traveled? 4,000 miles is to listen to some all this way. Open preview yes, content. Yes. She actually asked me today if I could get her tickets to the open championship, which I was stunned by. Of course I can't. No, you can't get tickets to the open championship. No, that's been sold out for like three years. Uh, I'm, what, what is she actually going to do next week? Cause I mean, you, you, you and I, those are the, those Thursday, Friday of the open. Those are the long stays in golf. Like everyone knows that the tee up, they, they tee off uh, at the, the break of dawn and they don't finish up until dusk what is she going to do all day is she crashing at the house uh she is crashing at the house what, what are you going to do all week answer the stock way. the fridge stock the fridge i am a grown woman i can find my own way around town in, in other that. words in other words i'm going to post up at the dunvig and for at least 12 hours and i'll see you guys after maybe absolutely that's that's probably it that i yeah i like can we yeah. switch can we switch spots? And it's gonna, that sounds true it's going to be a train wreck when we get done at, at, at nine o'clock at night. We're schlepping back to the house, hungry and angry and yelling at each other because we stepped on each other's toes all day long. And she's going to be at the house happy as can be because she's been at the Dunbegin all day long. Yeah. <laughs> just get us, just get us just pouring yeah. out of her pores. I think she's going to go to Edinburgh for a few days. I think she's going to do some tours. She's got a girlfriend that's in town with uh, her husband. So yeah, she's got things to do. Don't worry about it. We're good. She can, she can pal around. She, okay. So she's not going to go uh, to Renaissance club where you and I had the distinct pleasure of playing uh, a couple of years ago. I distinctly remember uh, playing well, I botched the 18th hole. Got stuck with that stupid rock wall uh, that led to a double bogey on the last. I believe I shot 74. It was a really good day. Uh, and then I distinctly remember this: the uh, whiskey afterward, uh, which was among the best uh, I'd ever have. 
What do you think about the field, Rex? 14 of the top 15 players in the world, literally everybody, including uh, the world number one, Scotty Scheffler, including the newly minted U.S. Open champion, Matt Fitzpatrick. Who are a couple guys? Who are a couple, What are a couple of storylines to watch? Check the interview I did tonight with uh, on Golf Channel with um, Andrew Colhart because he brings up a very, Coltart. very good point. Colhart, sorry. Uh, he brings up a very, very good point that this is the first time there has been a co-sanctioned event between the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour. And you're bringing together the best players in the world. And we see this from time to time at the major championships, at the World Golf Championships, but never in a setting like this. And, and I think both of you, I think both you and I both have an appreciation for that golf course. Look, it's not a new links. I don't even know if you can call it a real links. If we're being honest, if the snobs get involved, they're probably going to tell you it's not, but it has every element of links golf. And it's, I would argue that it's probably the perfect tune up because they're going to go out of their way, not to make it too hard. Because what these guys don't want the week before St. Andrews and the Open Championship is to get beat up. But it's going to be just linksy enough that they can start working on the things that they, you know, that they're thinking about for the next week. It's going to be fascinating on on that front and the fact that you have sort of this collision of worlds. We just got through talking at length about sort of the differences in how the PGA Tour looks at the world or or at least the U.S.-centric PGA Tour and how the DP World Tour looks at the world. And, and I think this is actually one of those situations where everything that's happened in golf, this is one of the good things that came from it. And you can probably point to a dozen things that, that are better. Like the, the Asian tour is better. The European tour is better. This is one of those good things that you can point at and say, yes, we should have done this all along where you had these co-sanctioned events. You mix the players together. That's why I want to see more of them. I do too. I'm with you. I love to see like the I was, Irish. I was shocked that Jay Monahan said like, this is the only one that's, that's planned for the foreseeable future. Like what's the reason why you wouldn't do this for Abu Dhabi? What's the main reason why you wouldn't do this for the Irish open? What's the main reason you wouldn't do this for the BMW PGA or the season ender in Dubai? Like it's a great thing to bring these two together. Like this is the strongest event in DP world tour history. This should, this should be eye opening for them. Like, Hey, these guys don't mind traveling internationally. If there's a good hook to it. Well, and here's the deal. I totally agree with you. I, I think you could cherry pick four or five or six of the best European tour events and cherry pick four or five or six of the best PGA tour events and make them both co-sanctioned. Like make Bay Hill and Memorial and LA. Instead of make having them- two WGCs, let's make like 15 of them. Exactly. We're in, and I think that gets closer to what we're trying to get to anyway in the long term. The problem is, is the local politics of it. And I'm sure there's plenty of PGA tour players that don't particularly like what's going on this week because it's a tale of two worlds because you have the other half of the PGA tour who's playing in an event in the United States with a fraction of the purse and a fraction of the points. And they feel like second-class citizens in that situation. What's and a you top, also, it's, a, it's a top 60 tour, top 60 DP world tour. Is that how they broke up the field? Yes. No. Uh, yes. 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 Well, it's 156 players. So 63, right? Math right on that one. Yeah. 63. Nope. Definitely not. That's 126. So maybe it's top set, maybe it's top 70 from each, and then you, there's some assorted add-ons. Perhaps, perhaps. And then they expanded it to one. Whatever it is, it's half PJ one, Tour, half. They expanded it to 170 for the, for the add-ons because of the Ian Poulters and the, and the Brennan Graces. I, I would argue on the other half is you, you have some disgruntled DP World Tour players. And they talked about this last week, about there are players who have their full European Tour card that can't get into this event this week. And it's a big event with a big purse and big points. And I get that because half the field is being taken up by the PGA Tour. What this is only, in the, what, what this lands on in my mind 
is we cannot worry about those players. I'm very, very sorry. Many of those players are some of the, my favorite players on the PGA Tour and the European Tour, but those aren't the ones that matter. I'm sorry. If you want to be part of that conversation, play better. It's as simple as that. If you want to be part of the top 70 and play in all of these great 15 events that you and I just envisioned, play better. That's going to be one of the repercussions, the consequences of this fracturing is that the, 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 the middle class to lower class on these respective tours are going to realize they do not matter. And the leadership, if they're looking out for their own financial futures, should not and will not care about them. I'm not saying that's necessarily right. Not saying that's necessarily wrong. Actually, you know what? I am saying that that's right. Like that's what professional golf should be. Play better. You have equal opportunity to be among the best in the world. If you can't get there, sorry. Uh, good luck on the Corn Ferry Tour. Rex, how about some players? Give me some players to watch. I'm looking at John Rahm this week. Finished two shots out of the playoff last year on this golf course at the Scottish Open. Had a, a miserable Sunday uh, at Brookline. I'm curious to see if he comes back firing better than ever. My pick for St. Andrews, at least at the beginning of the year, is Jordan Spieth has not done much of anything over the past couple of months, had that stomach bug uh, that knocked him out of contention early, even before the tournament started at the U S open, unfortunately then missed the cut at the travelers with a really weird opening round there. If he is going to win at St. Andrews, which I still believe that he can remember, he had that close call uh, trying to win the third leg of the grand slam back in 2015. Uh, I'd like to see some better form out of my boy, Jordan Spieth. How about you? Uh, Xander Schauffele to, to pick off the top of the list on a heater, on a heater, on a heater, on a heater. I feel like he's the kind of player. And I had this uh, an extended conversation with him about this yesterday after I did the interview for him for golf central about how much links golf brings out the best in him, where he is kind of at his best. If you put him in the middle of a field and you make him hit 80 perfect eight irons, he's going to lose interest. That's not what he likes to do. If you put him on a links course where he's got to manufacture a shot that's what gets him excited. And I think this is going to fit his game this week, next week. I think this is where we're going to see him at his best. And the fact, fact, fact that he's playing very, very well factors into that as well. And I'm going to go completely sideways. You're going to roll your eyes and you're going to be like, Oh, you've become one of them. Ryan Bolter. No, Bolter? Ryan Fox is on our heater. He finished third in Germany uh, uh, two weeks ago and uh, to, to just miss out. And then he just missed out last week at the Irish open. I think he's the kind of player that can play well in these conditions and he, he plays in these kind of conditions enough. So I, I threw a sideways one at you. Look at that. And then let's see how he does against uh, stiffer competition, which you will certainly face uh, this week at the Scottish open. Xander Schauffele. Adrian uh, Moronk's not good enough competition. The first. Also, how is Adrian Moronk 29 years old? I covered him. In college, I would have guessed that he's 24 and he's 29 years old. Uh, finally, gets his breakthrough. He's a mountain on the deep of a man, by the way. Good he is him. a monster, an enormous human being. Kind of reminds me of Victor Perez and a guy that could absolutely squash you. Uh, Victor Perez probably has not forgiven you for uh, your digs at him regarding uh, the 2021 Ryder Cup. Hopefully, uh, Agent Moronk, who will be on a Ryder Cup uh, eventually. In fact, he might no, be on show one me next in Rome. year because there's no you one else. Show me something. Show me something in Rome, there, Victor Perez. That's all I have to say to you. Show me something in Rome. Well, let's see if he's even eligible. Uh, time, time will tell if Victor Perez uh, eventually defects uh, to the Live Tour as well. I do find it interesting, Rex. Uh, Xander Schauffele played in that final group, I believe, uh, 2018 Carnoustie, the one where we're all enamored with Tiger, all enamored with Spieth, and then Frankie Molinari uh, Frankie. playing better than anyone in the world uh, ended up winning that title. That was the only time that Xander Schauffele has finished better than 20th uh, in a limited 
open championship career. I also find it coincidental that the, when I finally stopped picking him for majors is now he is playing uh, arguably the best golf of his life. I'm with you. I'm curious to see uh, what Xander Schauffele uh, is going to do. You have turned off your camera on this podcast record. Uh, that can only mean that you are getting deep in the whiskey. Can you confirm true or false? Uh, no, not yet. I wouldn't do that professionally. I turned it off because the connection was bad. Come on. You know the way this works. Stop it. Mm. Just stop. I didn't see that. I also have some uh, incredibly compromising photos uh, of your wife as she was uh, uh, doing something in the background. I, I'm going to have to use this as black ball. I'm not going to hint at what I've taken uh, photos of, uh, but rest assured, I do have them. I would be nice to me uh, over the next week and a half if I were you. I would let uh, me have the, the king bedroom. I don't care if you have a guest. Uh, in the house, I would certainly do that. I would certainly pay for all of my meals uh, with your $60 per diem. I'm not sure how that translates to pounds, uh, but that's for you to figure out. Just keep that in mind uh, as we move forward and I make my way across the pond. Wow. Nothing like a good teammate. I appreciate that. <laughs> I'm sure you and Mercer will be uh, be landing in the good beds before I get there Sunday night. So I, I knew that wasn't even going to be a conversation. I'm guessing me and the bunk mate end up in bunk beds it is my guess what we end up with, given our luck at, at houses when it comes to St. Andrews. I actually got the master uh, at our Augusta house, so maybe maybe it's time for me to to to, to give you guys a favor. I, I mean, if, if you do have your spouse there, I feel like it's only right. Uh, I'm sure it'll be warm enough uh, that, we'll, that we'll wish we had AC uh, that we don't have, but we're looking forward uh, to just our half-mile walk uh, to the old course. Can't wait to get across the pond. We'll be, we'll be delivering next week's golf central podcast presented by Callaway golf live from St. Andrews. Is that a better dateline uh, in the world no. uh, than that one? We're greatly looking forward to it. We'll also be folks, folks, we're going to be doing it live. We're going to be doing daily podcasts. It might be in the form is of social done? media videos. Have we done sure. this? Have we pushed uh, this I be- through? I believe this has been discussed. So it's either going to be daily podcasts if they can turn around quick enough or they are going to be social clips, which will be posted to the Golf Central Twitter account. Oh, that's Big not Merce. what the people want. We'll they don't want to see them us. For, I, no one wants look, to see us. Look, I don't, I don't make the rules. Uh, I understand there's some, there could be some staffing shortages in certain areas and, and departments. I understand that these are weird hours with the Open Championship. But, folks, we are working on it. We will get you daily content in some form, in some medium. We just don't really... Uh, know it yet but thank you guys for listening to this edition of the golf central podcast presented by callaway golf look forward to talking to you guys next week where hopefully i will not have to use those compromising photos of rex and his wife stop it